0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the eighth chapter of Romans, verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 17. That can be found in page 918 in your Pew Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin— The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: We have received the spirit of adoption. We are sons and daughters. We are children of God and heirs to his heavenly kingdom. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. I am so grateful and happy to be here in worship with you all this morning. I thank you for the warm welcome last Sunday. It was so nice. It was overwhelming to meet so many of you on Sunday and throughout the week. It was powerful last Sunday to be up here to be prayed over by the church and to be prayed over by the children And it's just been a fabulous and fast-paced first week. Uh, My family and I have felt the warm welcome. We appreciate it, and we are just grateful to be here. So thank you um, so much for just welcoming us with open arms. Now, I can't verify this, and I'm not exactly sure that it's true, but I think it might be. So this week as I was preparing my sermon, I was thinking that now at Ebenezer Church... You all likely have with you both the tallest pastor and the shortest pastor in the entire Virginia conference so I'm not sure I know yeah I don't know I don't know why I would clap for that but sure <laughs> we got we have to represent all of the heights there so um, Over the past several weeks, last Sunday was my first Sunday with you, but over the past several weeks, Pastor Rob has been leading you all, the congregation, disciples of all ages, which was really powerful to witness last week, um, children of all ages here, um, hearing and sharing the gospel. But you have been being led through a story time sermon series, correct? Right? Who here doesn't like a good story? Is there anyone here who doesn't like a good story? Right, whether it's a children's story, or maybe um, a favorite story from a book or a movie, a story from the Bible, anything—you know—they capture stories, capture our minds, and they can be powerful and life-changing. So it probably wouldn't take anyone in here but a few seconds to name one of your favorite stories. From a book, from a movie. Something that has captured your mind and your heart. And if you found it on Netflix, it's probably captured countless of hours of yours as well. Stories connect with us at the very essence of our God designed humanity. They pull us in. It's why we laugh and cry. It's why we feel connected to the characters and we experience an entire range of emotions when we are pulled into a good story. So it won't take you long to recount one of your favorites. And it probably won't take you but a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, to recount the story that tells who you are, where you come from, your identity story, The family that raised you? The neighborhood that raised you? What has formed you? Who are those people and places? You could probably tell me a story that has been passed on to you, either from your parents or your grandparents or your neighbors or your guardians. You'd be able to recount that. Stories are powerful. And they shape us and they form us. Do you know what else, though? Stories are also full of contradictions. Who was here in worship last Sunday? Okay, so if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember this. And if not, I'll tell you a little bit. Pastor Rob shared with us, he read a book from Love You Always. It's a children's story in worship. And rightfully so, after reading that story, Pastor Rob pointed out that there's a really creepy part of that book In one particular part, there is a mother, and I imagine her grown son to be about 25 or 30 years of age. And in this one particular part in the book, the mother drives across town to her grown adult son's apartment, sneaks through his bedroom window, crawls across the floor to his bed, and tries to pick him up and rock him. Weird, right? As Pastor Rob was reading that story, my 12-year-old son, David, leaned over to me straight-faced, and he said, Mom, please don't ever do that. <laughs> I said, that deal. I hope I will never do that, right? Because what that mom was doing, that's just not right. That's not right. Don't know. Wing, roots and wings. You're in the wings phase there. So, But how was it? that you could maybe cringe like I did when hearing that part of the book, but also connect deeply with the bigger story that was being told. Likely, if you were here or you're familiar with the book, it also made you think about the people that are most valuable to you. Likely made you think about what's most important in life. And how precious time is and how quickly time goes by. How is it possible that we can cringe and connect deeply all within moments of each other? You see, that story that you thought of when you thought about the people in the places that raised you? There are likely people in that story as well that make you feel a deep sense of love and connection and longing if they're no longer with us. And if you know the whole person, there are likely stories or traits about that person or people that can also make you, if not cringe, cry from an unhealed hurt or an un- Resolved issue. Stories are full of contradictions because people who make up the stories are full of contradictions. It's the human condition, and we can't escape it. Theologically, we're told that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. That means at the very same time, at each and every moment, each and every one of us is a sinner and saint all wrapped into one. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise then that stories that involve people that are full of contradictions can make us feel both deeply connected and painfully disconnected all at the same time. Now when I was a young child, much like one of our children today, I used to like to take long walks around our neighborhood. I mean like several miles long walks. And I had a lot of energy. I was an intense child. I was a curious child. I asked lots of questions. Does anyone have a child who just asks question after questions that have no answers, questions that you'll never be able to answer? Yes, I was that child, and God paid me back because I have that child now. And so my mom, God love her, she entertained my requests for these miles-long walks. And while we were walking, we would talk about everything and anything. But there was one particular story that my mom would tell that I just couldn't get enough of. became my story, the shaping story, the one that formed me. You see, my mom was an orphan. She was raised in St. Gonzaga's Children's Home in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. And my mom would tell me the story about the nuns who raised her, who educated her, who formed her, who kept her safe, who prepared her for life. My mom would tell the story about how she was tiny, and so she had to develop strategies and some quirks even to make sure that she wasn't bullied and picked on. She told me the story about the one day that some boy did try to bully her and pick on her, and that she punched him in the face. And she told me he never did it again. (laughs) My mom would tell the story about her abusive, alcoholic, biological parents, would try to, quote, steal her back. Those were her words. And how one time they were even successful going to the orphanage and taking her back to her biological home. She told me the story about how her 10-year-old self at the time saved up change whenever she could and was praying for the courage to be able to run away. She told me about the day where she got up the change and the courage. My mom would tell me the story about how it was pouring down rain on the day that she decided to go But when she stepped foot outside, the rain stopped. She thought it was a miracle. My 10-year-old mom said she ran to that bus stop. And at 10, she had no idea where that bus was going. But she got on it anyway. And somehow, she got from the bus to the train. And she ended up back at the train station in Philadelphia. My mom told me the story of how when she stepped out of that train station she flagged down a taxi. And the taxi driver looked at her, and he said, Are you running away, kid? And she responded to him, If I were running away, would I be running to an orphanage? He must have agreed, because he gave her a ride. My mom told the story about how when she arrived back at St. Gonzaga's Children's Home, that she didn't have enough money to pay that taxi driver but that he told her not to worry about it, he wished her good luck, and he drove off. My mom told me the story about how the next time her biological parents tried to come and take her back, that the nuns hid her safely inside. She told me the story about Mother Superior, who was the head nun of St. Gonzaga's Children's Orphanage the one that was charged with keeping her and the other children safe. She told me that that nun was short and bold. I take risks for her faith, stand-her-ground kind of woman. She told me that her name was Sister Monica and that I had been named after her. Stories are powerful. They can and do change lives. Now, my mom shared a very personal story with me during those walks. It was deeply personal. But there was nothing that was individualistic about her story. She was never telling me a me, 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 me story. I might not have had words for it at the time, but I do now. She was telling me a God and us story. God and us, God and us, God and us. Hey, look what God has done kind of story. Deeply personal and not individualistic. The story behind her story, definitely unbeknownst to both of us at the time, was also theologically profound. It, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, that we heard read earlier, illustrates and exemplifies the story that my mom was sharing through her life. Paul's words in chapter 8 of Romans actually illustrate the work of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, not only throughout all of the Bible, but throughout all of time. What Paul is telling us in his, in chapter eight of his letter to the Romans is essentially that we all have been separated by God, separated from God, that we had previously been living under the law and that the law only produced sin and death. We heard it in our scripture passage today. We also heard it in a couple of our worship songs today. This is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, that we were enslaved to sin and death. But, because God sent us Christ who fulfilled the law, who did what we were unable to do for ourselves, and then God sent us his spirit, poured it out over all of creation, and then adopted us into God's family, that we are now children sons and daughters, and heirs to God's kingdom. We are no longer under the old law. Paul tells us that what used to indwell in us was the power of sin. But now what indwells in us is the power of the Spirit that God is waiting to use through us. God's story tells us that your life, that my life, and that how we choose to live it are not only important, but matter tremendously. In Romans 8.13, Paul reminds us that when we live by the misdeeds of our flesh, that we will be led into death. But positively, when we live led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, that our lives, your life, my life, our life as the church, can and will be used by God if we let it to impact the lives around us with the hope and the healing of the gospel, if we allow it. That is the spirit of adoption that we have all been given That is how God wants us to operate as active and fully participating members of the church, the adoptive family that we have been brought into. My mom had been adopted not by those of her blood or her biology, but by those who share an adoption in Christ. It was a collision of identities this is the contradiction that we find in Romans chapter 8, where the flesh and the spirit collide. When we have been adopted into God's family, the spirit at work among us will and does collide with our flesh and our flesh's desires. Our identities begin to collide. And we learn through that collision That the spirit of God is selfless. But the flesh is self-serving. We learn that the spirit of God is life-giving. But the flesh is life-preserving. We learn that the spirit of God wants us to love as Christ has taught us to love. But that our flesh is trying to hold us back. In fear. Paul, in verses 14 and 15, is trying to assure us that the spirit of God in us trumps, is stronger than, is more powerful than the spirit of the law that used to be on us that led to sin and death. He's assuring us that Christ's blood is more powerful than, and our biological blood. This passage is meant to reassure us. It's meant to take the weight off that it's by nothing of our doing or that we could ever do, but by God's doing in Christ that we have been set free. By Christ fulfilling the law for us that we have been set free. The Old Testament law was simply, it was meant for good. God wanted it They used the law to teach us to love God and love each other. But it wound up producing the opposite. And so Christ fulfilled the law for us. And our chains have been broken. And we have been invited to live in God's family. And part of that adoption is teaching us that God is a relational God. We learn that right in Genesis that we have been designed to be in relationship with God and with one another. And we learn through our passage in Paul and, and pretty much through all of Paul's letters that this kind of love and this kind of adoption and this kind of living, it can't be legislated. That was the gift that we have been given. And we also can't escape it. No matter how hard we try, we can't escape one another because God designed us to be in relationship with each other and as part of the family of the church. Now, I knew from a very early age that, God willing, that I wanted to use my life somehow, in some way, to impact another person's life the same way that Sister Monica had impacted my mom's life and countless other vulnerable children. And so when we went on these walks, I would tell my mom this. I would tell her, hey, I want to do this. When I grow up, I want to be able to do this. And my mom would smile and she would shrug or laugh and she would say, eh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And she was right. I didn't have to do that. And you don't either. When we are adopted into God's family, it is a gift to us that we simply need to accept. We are invited to pull up a chair at God's table. It's there for us. I didn't have to do it. You don't have to do things. But yet there was something inside of me, or using Paul's theology from Romans 8, there was someone dwelling within me That would be whispering to me, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do this. But you should, though. You should. It was Romans 8 speaking about what it means to live in the spirit that we do life in our bodies. And I wholeheartedly believe that what Paul is saying in Romans 8, that that passage speaks to each and every one of us within the context of our own life and our frameworks, and the stories that God is writing with your life. Paul assures us there's nothing legally that we have to do to respond. But he also uses some pretty strong language in verses 12 through 17 that tell us, you should though, you really ought to. Verses 12 through 17 Or a choose your own adventure kind of passage where Paul is telling us that if we are to be, if we are to living by the misdeeds of our flesh, that we will be led to death. But, conversely, being led by the Spirit will lead us to life. Most importantly though, Paul is sharing in chapter 8, Paul is sharing the entire good news of the gospel right there. That passage is so rich. But the most important thing he's telling us in that passage was that God could have condemned each and every one of us under the law because none of us could nor would we ever be able to live up to it. But instead of condemning us, God sent Christ and when Christ was nailed to the cross, what was condemned was not us. God was condemning sin and death. It's the good news of the gospel right there. God could have condemned us, but instead of condemning us, condemned sin and death. And then chose to pour out his spirit and adopt us into the best family ever. My mom never spoke one bad word about the orphanage that she was raised in. Stories are full of contradictions, though, whether they are spoken or unspoken. When my mom was taken from her birth home, she was about six months of age. When Child Protective Services came in, they found her inside a dresser drawer. She was severely malnourished, And she was in need of a blood transfusion. My mom got the blood that she needed. And she went on to live and to grow and to get married and to have children. And she went on to share the story about how God working through people outside of her biology, but part of her adoption in Christ, gave her not only life, but gave her hope. It turns out, though, history taught us that people who received blood transfusions during the time period when my mom did had a higher-than-average likelihood of developing certain kinds of blood cancer. We also know today that institutionalization, no matter how well intended, has extreme detrimental impacts on human beings and detrimental impacts on health later in life. It actually changes our physiology, sometimes permanently. Living insecurely in any way, whether abuse, neglect, malnourishment, not having arms to hug you, or hands to wipe away tears, or the comfort that God has designed us to live in relationship in, Living insecurely in any way programs the body to release too much stress hormone. And when that happens over time for extended periods, it sets the stage for a whole host of other medical conditions later in life. Likely a mix of the blood transfusion itself and those extreme adverse childhood experiences. My mom was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and battled that cancer for nearly two decades. Cancer wound up taking my mom from us. Just one week, seven short days, from the day that Fred and I got the phone call from the United States Embassy in Ethiopia saying, your children's visas are ready, they're clear to travel. My mom tried so hard to hang on She wanted to meet her grandkids because she knew that her story and those that worked before her were part of the continuing story that God was writing. But it wasn't to be. I don't know why, but I imagine you have things that have happened in your life where there's just not answers, or at least answers that make you satisfied with them. It was strange, and it's sad, and it's confusing To know that the blood that gave my mom life eventually wound up taking that life from her. That's our human condition though, isn't it? This is also though, the story of our faith. The blood that gives us life through Jesus Christ. The blood that set the stage for our adoption. And the Spirit at work then calls us in response to lay down our lives and to die to the misdeeds of our flesh so that God can work through us. Being adopted into God's family reminds us that there are painful experiences in each and every one of our lives. It also reminds us that We are broken beyond repair when it comes to navigating our way back to God on our own. Our adoption reminds us that we've been given that gift in Christ. We are sons and daughters. And it reminds us that if we are to experience any healing or wholeness or redemption here in the kingdom on earth, that it will most likely come from Acknowledging and living as if we belong to God and belong to one another. That's how God has designed us. That seeming contradiction that's found in Romans chapter 8, where Paul is saying that we are to live in our bodies, in our flesh, but be led by the Spirit, reminds us that we have an invisible umbilical cord of sorts. God pouring out the Spirit is our invisible umbilical cord that tethers us, not only to God, our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, but to our entire adoptive family, which is God's church universal. And being adopted into God's family gives us all of the rights and privileges of children and heirs. But it also gives us the responsibility being loved perfectly by the perfect parent, being adopted into the most perfect family ever, we are invited, therefore, to recognize that God desires to use all that we are. Our skills, our abilities, our talents, oftentimes our broken parts, those parts in us that have been hurt, God wants us to be able to use, God wants to use our time, our treasures, and even our relationships. And if we are willing to allow God to use us as we are adopted into that family, God can and will work through us to touch another life for the sake and the hope that is the gospel. Please join me in prayer. Holy and loving God, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you've given to us in Christ. We thank you, God, for relieving the burden of the law from us, Lord, one that we could never achieve without you. We thank you, God, for giving us your spirit, for adopting us into your family. God, we know that there are a lot of contradictions in our life and even in scripture that we wrestle with. And so we pray, God, to be led and guided in ways that make it become clear to us, what it means to live in these bodies while being led by the Spirit. We pray that you unite us in Christ and that you lead us, Lord, to be the people and church that you need us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.